16. This is a this is a great chapter, 2 Kings chapter number 16. <clears throat> it's a chapter that has to do with a backslidden king of Israel that, oh my goodness, uh, just went a wrong direction. Self-will, he's doing his own thing here, not following the Lord, and what a mess. I mean, just really, really messed things up. Not only for him and his family, his life, but also for the children of Israel that he was leading. Second Kings chapter number 16, listen as I read from verse number 1. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Only uh, 20 verses here. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, and reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem, and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father. David was not exactly his direct father, but he was a descendant of David. That's how they called. That's how they uh, would say that. Um, so David, his forefather, there was uh, followed the Lord and and uh, pleased God, but he did not. Verse three. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, and made his son to pass through the fire, according to the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. Now, when it says that he sacrificed his son, he made his son pass through the fire, there was a terrible, awful practice of Baal worship, and there were... Uh, Different gods that they would worship back then, Ashtaroth and gods of the Zidonians and the and the uh, Syrians and the Assyrians and uh, um, I think it was Baal that had this big statue, this big actually it was a hollow metal statue that they would um, have a a like a it's hollow they, it was like a flue a chimney to have inside of this statue to have a fire going to where this entire statue would get just absolutely burning hot, red, red hot. And they would have arms that would be outstretched like this, and they would take and they would place a human on those arms to be uh, sacrificed to that false god. And the Bible says here that he even had his son pass through the fire. Ahaz's own son, he would take, and he said, well, why would somebody do that? Well, he was following the traditions and following the customs and following the idolatry of the nations around him. And that's what they did. They tried to gain favor from uh, these gods and they would appease these gods in these awful, cruel ways. But nonetheless, um, he sacrificed his own child, his own son. Oh, goodness. Um, let's see, where did we end up here? Um, Verse 4, and he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to war, and they besieged Ahaz. So Ahaz, king of Judah, was fighting against not only Israel, but then others on, on the outside, and uh, they, then he was in, engaged in battle. He, but he could not overcome the king of Israel uh, he could not overcome him. Verse 6, And at that time, Rezin, king of Syria, recovered Elath to Syria and drave the Jews from Elath. 
and the Syrians came to Elath and dwelt there unto this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. So here he comes appealing for a, a, a heathen king to come and help him get on his side. He would do whatever he needed to, needed to do. He would pay whatever he would be asking, but he needed help militarily to overcome his enemies. And so he asked, and he says, save me. Verse 8, And Ahaz took silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria hearkened unto him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it and carried the people of it captive to Ker and slew Rezin. And King Ahaz, then he went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. And so here is the uh, uh, meeting time and the uh, congratulatory time, celebration. They're getting together, beat their enemies. He asked this heathen king to help. And so he's very grateful. I mean, he's, he's beholden to Tiglath-Pileser, this king of Assyria. So he, he comes to meet uh, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Urijah the priest, this is back home, to fashion uh, the, the, the fashion of the altar and, he pat and the, the pattern of it according to all the workmanship thereof. So he was there in Damascus and he sees this altar and he's impressed. He says, wow, this is wonderful. Look at their worship. Look at their gods. Look at how they worship. And so he takes and he, and he uh, uh, copies down the dimensions of this altar and he says, I'd like to have one just like that. So he sends a blueprint over to uh, uh, his priest back home in, Ju in Judea. And so it says... Uh, sent the pattern of it according to all the workmanship thereof, verse 11. And Urijah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah the priest made it against King Ahaz came from Damascus. And when the king was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar. It's, it's constructed. It's made just like the one he saw in Damascus. It's an identical uh, uh, copy of that. And he's impressed. It's like, wow, this is wonderful. So he sees, he comes from Damascus, he saw the altar, and the king approached to the altar and offered thereon. <clears throat> and he burnt his burnt offering and his meat offering and poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings upon the altar. And he brought also the brazen altar, which was before the Lord, and I was talking about in the temple there in, in uh, Jerusalem, he goes to the temple to take out some of the furniture of God's temple in the, the uh, house of the Lord uh, from the forefront of the house, from between the altar and the house of the Lord, and he put it on the north side of the altar, of his altar, the altar that he built. Verse 15, And King Ahaz commanded Urijah the priest, saying, Upon the great altar burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meat offering and the king's burnt sacrifice and his meat offering and with the burnt offering for, of all the people of the land and their meat offering and their drink offering and sprinkle, it upon, uh, sprinkle, sprinkle upon it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice and the brazen altar shall be 
for me to inquire by. Thus did Uriah the priest, according to all that King Ahaz commanded. And King Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases and removed the labor from off them and took down the sea from off the brazen oxen that were under it and put it upon pavement of stones. And you have to understand what he's talking about here. Uh, <clears throat> the laver is a place to where they would, uh, the priests would be doing the, the uh, service of sacrificing, of, of burning animals upon the altar, and then they would go to the laver to wash. The laver was, they called it a, a molten sea or brazen sea or the laver, and it was a, uh, something that was on a pedestal, and the pedestal had borders. It was ornate. It was the way that God had designed it to be. You can go into the Old Testament uh, when God was uh, giving them the blueprints of how it was going to look and what it was going to be. And so he identified how this labor would have uh, the, the uh, footstool of the labor, the, the, uh, everything about, about the, uh, the labor, and the same thing for the brazen altar. There was a brazen altar where they would burn the animals and whatever, and this was ornate, and it had um, uh, underneath the brazen altar, it had um, uh, oxen that were... Uh, uh, kind of like statues, but they were they were the feet of or the, or the the pedestal of the altar. There were oxen all around it. There's borders, oxen's very ornate, and it says that he took those off. He says, um, King uh, verse seventeen again, and King Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases and removed the labor from off them and took down the sea from off the brazen oxen that were under it and put it upon a pavement of stones, laid it on the ground. And the covert for the Sabbath that they had built in the house, and the king's entry without, turned he from the house of the Lord for the king of Assyria. And I don't know what this all means, it's not real descriptive here, but there was a, a place where you enter into to the temple, it's from the king's house to the temple. And uh, he said, you know what, we might, have, we might have a visit from the king of Assyria, and so... I, I would like to honor him, so he changed that. He, he, he rearranged everything, and he changed it to, to make it an entrance on the outside for the entrance of the king of Assyria. He's changing everything around. He's taking the things that were in the, the temple and moving them around, changing them, take, uh, uh, changing the furniture of the temple of what God had uh, commanded and, and gave the blueprint for, and he's just changing everything how he wants it fit to himself he builds his own altar, the, the altar that he thinks that it, it, it should look like, and so and he loves it. He he sacrifices upon it, and so uh, uh, he changes the the uh, outside of it also, the entrance into the the uh, his place where he was offering from the house of the Lord for the king of Assyria. The Bible says, verse nineteen. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz which he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. Ahaz was a piece of work. Ahaz really was something when he departed from serving the Lord. He wasn't paying attention to the instructions that God gave at all, he was designing his own way of serving the Lord. And uh, he was influenced by the world, by the world that he copied. 
he saw things in the world and he said, man, that's the way that things ought to be. And so he just followed this and followed that. He said, you know what? I like that. So he incorporated that. He had things built himself and he, and he changed the whole worship of God to fit him, his own idea. He was impressed by the world. He pursued the world around him. A few things that this chapter tells us of gives indication of where he went wrong. And we're going to be looking at that. But we're actually going to be talking about preparing for the Lord's Supper that is not this Tuesday but the following Tuesday for members of Wooden Valley Baptist Church. Say, well, preacher, what does that have to do with preparation for the Lord's Supper? Well, we'll, we'll try to uh, tie up the strings and get into that in just a little bit. Let's stop right here and ask the Lord's blessings tonight. Lord, thank you so much as you have offered to meet with us. Lord, we pray that you would do that indeed. And Lord, that you would humble yourself and bow down to this congregation and Lord, speak to hearts. Lord, there's a, a group of people here that are so varied, some that are walking with you and some that are a million miles away from you. And they know it. And there's no, there's no pretense. They might want to fool others, but they're nowhere near a relationship with you that's amiable. They're fugitives of your grace. Lord, I pray that you'd stop them tonight and help them to see your love and your care for them and your, your pardon that's available and what you want to do for them. Lord, I thank you for having the patience with me so many years ago that I was just headed headed anywhere away from you and I was quick to try to get there but you were pursuing and you didn't stop pursuing and you showed me your love and kept at it and kept at it kept after it thank you God thank you for taking that concern for to, to be with me and, uh, and to, and to uh, harness get my attention and to, and to make a difference in my life Lord thank you for that Lord, I pray that you would indeed be with us in this congregation. There's, there's uh, members that are here tonight that we, we need to uh, <clears throat> kind of stop and take inventory and, and uh, uh, determine what you'd have for us and your ways and your means. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to draw close to you, Lord, to say yes to you. Lord, that we would be indeed um, directed by you here tonight. Lord, we need you. We ask that you would be with us in this, in this story. Help us to see some, some sticking points that would be a help to us, a blessing, so that we could avoid the problems and the pitfalls that Ahaz did. But then also, Lord, to, to walk in the ways that you'd have up for us today. Lord, I pray that you just bless. Thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for allowing us to be here, Lord. Thank you so much for your goodness. You're so good to us. And we, and we, we just want to corporately say, say that we love you, Lord. We, we thank you for your goodness. We pray that you speak to us again tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> we'll be preparing our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Uh, like I say, not this Tuesday, but the Tuesday after. And It's a time in the lives of believers that will bring us into a firmer walk with the Lord. There's nothing spiritual about that where that, you, don't, you don't go through the Lord's Supper and you get anything from the elements where it makes you any more spiritual just partaking of the Lord's Supper, but it is a time where you, where you gain more of a sensitivity of 
following the Lord and an improved walk of maturing for Him. There's never a time that I've ever taken the Lord's Supper that it didn't do something for my walk and for my um, my my uh, advance of my own spiritual walk with the Lord. <clears throat> It'll bring us to a sensitive fellowship. Paul brings out the seriousness of our personal cleansing in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four when he's talking about the Lord's Supper. And let's read it. He says, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. And when he had given thanks, he break it. This is Paul going over what happened to Jesus on the Last Supper that night when he instituted the Lord's Supper. He said, this is what happened. When he gave him thanks, he break it and said, take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, now by the way, that's one of the reasons why it's, it is so very important is because this represents the sacrifice of our Savior. The one who died for me, the one who gave up, voluntarily gave up his life, his breath, his heartbeats to give to me so that I can be saved and so that I can be uh, redeemed. Wow. And so it's about a remembrance of his death. And we do show that every time we take the Lord's Supper, every time we gather together, we, we, we think about God's great sacrifice for us. And so he says in verse 27, uh, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. He's not talking about taking naps. He's not talking about going to sleep. That would be a good thing. Uh, but this is talking about health problems, serious health problems for believers, because they come to the table with unconfessed sin. They're coming unworthily. They're, they're, they're partaking of the Lord's Supper you know, in a flippant way. They have sin in their heart and their life, and they're not doing what God has encouraged them to do, had warned them to do, and that is to prepare for the Lord's Supper. Prepare for a special communion with God, and you better take that seriously. You better... Pay attention to your own spiritual walk. And by the way, it's not asking anybody to be perfect. None of us could take the Lord's Supper then. It's just saying that if you have sin in your heart and your life, get it right. Get it taken care of. Because you can't be uh, having this, this meeting with the Lord in that ordinance, that ordinance of the Lord's Supper uh, with unconfessed sin because you're, you're coming then unworthily. You better be clean. He says if because of that, because some have unconfessed sin and take it flippantly, he says many are sickly and weak among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Thank the Lord for that. 
that we're not involved, we're not lumped in the world, we're, we're, totally, we're judged in a totally different way because of we're, we are God's children and we come to him in a relationship that pleases him. So what he's saying is um, be sure you come prepared. Don't come to that table. Don't, don't have anything to do with the Lord unless you're prepared. If there's something that God is speaking to your heart about, and you know that God is speaking to your heart about it, don't be praying and ignoring that. Deal with that. I mean, we can do that with people. You know, you have a husband, you have a wife, you have a child or a parent, brother or sister, and, and you've got something in the way, and you know that it's in the way, and you just ignore it, and you deal with other things. You know what I'm talking about. You know, if, you know, uh, husbands and wives, if there's something in the way, and you know there's something in the way, and you're just pretending like, you know, it's a big elephant in the room, you're pretending like it's not there, and you're just going on and, and ignoring it. And you can, you can go on and do that a lot, but you can't do that with the Lord. No, not at all. Because he knows. He's on the inside Talk about a violation of privacy. He knows your very thoughts. You can't, you can't have a pretense with the Lord. You can't, if God's trying to speak to you about something, you can't ignore it and say, well, I'm not going to deal with that. But God, I need this. And, I, and he's going, excuse me, there's, there's a problem here. We need to deal with this. So you, you just can't do that. And when you, when you deal with the Lord, if there's some things that you need to take care of and get out of the way or whatever, and that's one of, the, one of the blessings, one of the blessings of the Lord's Supper is that God's people, if they're going to do it right and if they're going to examine themselves and they're going to come to the Lord with n not in pretense or not in hypocrisy, they're going to come genuinely and have a relationship with the Lord. It's a cleansing it's a time where, you're, where you have a spiritual cleansing because you do that. You better do that. And we're going to be doing just that. We're going to be examining ourselves when we come to the table in a couple of weeks. Cleansing ourselves. Preparing for this intimate intercourse with our Savior. This self-cleansing is so very important to approach near to our God. As a matter of fact... The Old Testament illustrated so many of the practical Christian virtues that we enjoy today in the Old Testament types and pictures and illustrations of our Christian walk in our walk with God or in the, the Old Testament Jew, the, the uh, Jews that worshiped God through the, uh, the temple. So many of those things were types, pictures of our walk today. And one of those things that we read about was the laver. The laver is that big, uh, uh, sometimes it's called the molten sea, sometimes it's called the laver, where it's, it's filled with water, clean water, so that the priest that is going to be offering, he's got to wash at the laver before he goes to the holy place to have a transaction with God. Um, the washing place was critical to him approaching to have communion with God. The Old Testament furniture was laid out specifically in just such a manner. 
in just such proximity to one another in such an order as to be functional. Now, if this was, let's say, uh, this platform here was uh, the inside of, of uh, the temple. It, let's say the door's on this side. That's where folks come in. And you'd have, you'd have to be prepared. You'd have to be cleansed. You'd have to be ready to just get in the door of the, of the temple area, whether it's the tabernacle before the, the temple was built or the temple. And inside the temple, the first thing that, that you would have is the brazen altar. And that would be where the uh, bullock was burned, the lamb was burned. It would, it would be taken a, a lamb or a, a turtle dove or whatever it was that was going to be burned on the altar, a sacrifice that was going to be offered. They would take the blood out and they would offer that offering there on the, the brazen altar. And then after the brazen altar, you take a few steps and then you'd have the brazen sea or the laver. This was that place where they would call it the molten sea or the laver. And this was a place of, with water. After the, after the, the burning, there's ashes, there's uh, dirt and filth and whatever it had to do with the animals. And then now to get to where God was in the Holy of Holies, between the altar and where God was, was this laver. And it was a huge, uh, uh, brazen, uh, like a, I, I'm thinking of it like a, a birdbath. I don't know what it looked like, but it could have been looking like that or something that was, it was, it was some kind of a vessel that had water in it that the, the priest would, after he did the business of offering the, the sacrifice, then he would come and he would wash. And you'd have to, you could not get to the next point without first going through the laver or the, the, the washing place. That labor. And then after the labor would be what they would call the holy place. And then you'd enter into this room where it was the, the holy place. And that, this is getting closer to where the, the mercy seat, where God would, would uh, actually uh, uh, converse with, with the priest. In this, in this holy place, on the one side, you'd have the candle. You know, the, the menorah. I think it's called the menorah. That six, um, or is it seven? Uh, seven uh, uh, branched candle. You know, there's a verse in the Old Testament that says a knop upon a knop, and then a knop upon a knop, and a knop upon whatever. <laughs> and that, that, that's the, 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 uh, uh, the candlestick. And you've seen it before. There's like one goes up here, and then two this way, and another two this way, another two this way. There's seven uh, lamps on this uh, golden candlestick. The one side, there's the, the golden candlestick, that would give light into the area where in that holy place. On the other, it was a table of showbread. It was a place where the, the priest would take, and after the offering there, they, they, would, they could actually eat the, the, the bread that's on that table. There's uh, bread here and light here on, in that one area. And then right in front of them, right in front of that, was the uh, incense altar. And that would be, uh, they would take whatever incense, and it wasn't just incense off the, you know, just some store that you buy incense. It was a specific incense that had a, a, just a, a very uh, precise uh, uh, formula, a precise smell that God had identified, and he said, this is, and you only use it here. Don't copy it. Don't use it anywhere else. It's only to be used here. It would be incense that they would burn, and it would, it would kind of smoke up, and that represented prayer. And so, and then after that, then there was this veil, the veil that would separate the holy place from the holy of holies. And that's where God met with mankind. It was upon the ark of the testimony. 
Uh, you know, the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, I saw that the other day with my kids, with my, a couple of my grandkids. And uh, that was an old movie, you know, and it was interesting, you know, and it's, it's not a Christian movie, okay? That's not, uh, but they did actually, you know, have some things that were biblical, you know, and they had questions when we were watching that. And they said, Grandpa, what about, you know, what is that? And I said, well, let me tell you about it, you know. And afterwards, after uh, that was over with, I got out the Bible, and I said, let me show you the truth about the, the Ark of the Covenant. You know, that box that they would carry around on the, on, with uh, staves. And this is what it was. And we, we, you know, went over the Old Testament. Man, there's some really cool stories in the Old Testament about the Ark and about what they did and how that they lost the Ark. And, and then they had to go through hemorrhoids. Remember that, that story? But anyway... And then they sent it back, on, you know, and, and they didn't know what to do. And one guy touched it, and God killed him. And, and it was just like, it's really, really cool to go through that and actually give them the, the actual story of the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the Ark of the Covenant was inside behind this veil, and that was the place where inside this box they had uh, Aaron's rod that budded. You remember back when they were in the, the uh, wilderness wanderings? And people said, you know, Moses, you have too much power. You have too much authority. Who says that God's with you? And who says God's with Aaron and not with everybody else? And God said, okay, bring everybody here. And he says, you put, Aaron, you put your rod here, and we'll take everybody else's rod, and we'll put them together. And the, in the morning, Aaron's rod budded. It actually had, had uh, 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 leaves and flowers and almonds on this rod, and none of, them, none of the others had that. And, so, and that was one of the testimonies that he would put in the, the box. Um, they would take the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, Ten Commandments that God gave, the original ones that were lost, and then they, they redid them, and they put that in, in the, the box. And so that, it, was, it was a place of certain, it was like a keepsake place for these, these things. But then on the top of that box, they called it the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was the place where God would deal and give mercy to mankind. The mercy seat was, I don't know if it was a, a kind of a couch looking thing or just a, a little, little platform or, you know, like a, some kind of a, a seat, seat, like a chair or a bench or something, but it was a mercy seat. And around or over the mercy seat, there would be two cherubims, angels, with their, with their wings touching. So you've seen that before, the, you know, the symbol of... of uh, you know, a Jesus Christ superstar, boy, this is going way back. This is going way, way back with the angels and the wings. Anyway, their, their actual, their wings would touch. That's what the Bible says. And, and, and God said, this is how you make it. And he was precise with it. And he says, I'm going to do this. And, and once a year, the priest would come in with atonement lamb, the, the blood from the, the lamb of the atonement, and he'd come into the Holy of Holies, Everybody couldn't go there. It was, it was only the one that was prepared, the one that was invited into that. Once a year, he would come with the blood of the lamb, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Wow. Talk about pictures of what was going on here in our relationship. The only, the only place, the only time we can get mercy from God, only time, only place, is through the blood of Christ. That's it. We, can't, we cannot be right with God. We're sinners. We're, we're separated. He's holy. We're, we're, uh, uh, we have failed in so many ways. We've transgressed his laws. There's one way to be joined with God, and that is to have the blood of Christ 
and that was applied to the mercy seat, and then that's where God would then uh, um, connect with man. And here you have the, the, the statues of those angels looking down intent, intently. First Peter says, or is it second, where he says, where the angels desire to look into. We're talking about a salvation that they know nothing about. There's no redemption for angels. Man sinned, and God sent his own son so that we could be reunited. When angels sinned, they're out. They're gone. They're called fallen angels or demons today. There's no redemption for them. And here's, here's the, the multitude of God's angels that they realize God loves this race, this creation of his, more than anything, even more than us. What's going on here? How, is, how are they getting mercy? How, are the, how is this working for them? And, and it's, it's something that's foreign to them, and, and we take it for granted. How about that? Aren't you glad that you're a believer and that you, you, that you, you can experience the, the pardon, the love of God through the blood of Christ? Wow. And that's all. And, and by the way, you know that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else? The night that Jesus Christ paid that ultimate price, after the Lord's Supper, he said, I'm going to be giving my blood, my body, and he went through this whole thing. It was just hours later when he gave up the ghost. The Bible says that the veil of the temple, very thick, heavy veil, was rent, was torn from the top to the bottom. Not from the bottom to the top. It wasn't man, you know, ripping it out and getting in there. It was God moving the, the, the curtain away, moving the barrier away. And now we have access to the mercy seat because of Jesus Christ. Wow. But you know what, folks? Every one of these, these issues or the, this, these furniture pieces or that is in the, the worship of God, every one of them represents something and is so very vital, so very necessary. Now, tonight, what, what we're emphasizing is the, the labor. You know, here's the, the altar, the great altar, and then there's the, the uh, brazen sea or the labor. And, and before you can... Get to doing business with God, you have to wash. It's, it's, it's important, it's necessary. Anyway, so that's, that's how that whole thing uh, is laid out in the temple. Now, all of this illustrates our approach to God. It's only by the substitutionary sacrifice that we're allowed in his presence at all. The altar demands death. First thing, we cannot come into the presence of God if there was not a sacrifice, a substitute to take my, my judgment, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. It was pictured by a lamb, or it was pictured by a, a scapegoat. You know what a scapegoat is? You know, we, we use the, the term scapegoat, and that is uh, somebody does something bad, and we just pin it on somebody. They're called the scapegoat. You know, somebody at work that uh, maybe they didn't, you know, uh, draw on the wall or whatever, but uh, somebody gets fired, and that's the guy, that's the gal, that's the scapegoat. They're they're the one that are that's paying the penalty, and somebody else gets you know scot free, but they're the one that that pays for it. Well, that's really a biblical term. A scapegoat. What they did was they they took two goats and they would bring them before the priest, and one would well, the the priest would would. Uh, um, confess the sins of Israel on the head of this goat and allow it to go free and the other one they would kill. The scapegoat was free and the, the other one actually paid for the sins. Folks, you know something? Jesus Christ is our 
uh, well, we're the scapegoat. We're the one that, that, were, that went free for my sin placed upon him. Wow. Anyway, all of that, all of everything that the Old Testament, the pictures and the temple, the worship in the, in the, uh, uh, the uh, temple or the tabernacle, all of that illustrates our approach to God. The altar demands death. The cleansing in water in that labor. The cleansing in water before we can approach. It's necessary. Then and only then can we come into his presence. Um, in that holy place, on the one side is the, the candle, on the other side is, is the bread, the, the showbread. Well, that represents the, the word of God giving light and his, his guidance and his Holy Spirit in our lives. Sustenance that he gives us and he provides for us. And then the, the, the incense, the, the altar of incense, that represents our prayers, our, our intercession, and our prayers before God. Jesus removed that veil or that separation, and so now we have access to the Holy of Holies. And it's on the mercy seat that we're saved. The angels desire to look into this love and this care and this salvation that is exclusively offered to the beloved human race. Now, all of this was precisely ordered by God himself. When he made the temple and the tabernacle and he gave the blueprints, he gave the pattern of this, he, he gave the instructions to make, to build first the tabernacle and then the temple of how to construct these buildings, these, these rooms for worship. God gave those instructions precisely. Exodus chapter 25, verse number 9. The Bible says, according to all that I show thee, God says, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. They're not making it on their own. They're not saying, you know what, it would be nice to have a couch over here, and it would be nice to have a mirror over here, and let's put uh, a plant over. No, no. He says, no, no, God says, I'm giving you the pattern, and I'm going to give you the blueprint. Make sure you make it just the way I prescribe it. Even so shall ye make it, he says. Exodus 25, 40. And look that thou make them after their pattern, God says, which was showed thee in the mount. Moses was sternly warned in Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 5. It says, Moses, who served under the example and shadow of heavenly things. And see, all of those things, they represent something. They're a shadow, they're a type. You know, the, the, the uh, uh, altar is a type of the cross, and the labor is, is our cleansing, and the, uh, the mercy seat is where we get that mercy, the blood of, of Christ, like the, the atonement lamb. See, all of these are shadows and types of our relationship to, with God. It says, Moses served under the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, God speaking here, he says, see, Thou, he saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern. Don't veer off. Don't do your own thing. Don't give me your, your ideas. I'm telling you exactly how to make this. Make things according to the pattern. And he said, be sure or see or, or pay attention. You're not going to uh, color outside the lines. This is God requiring these things. Those things, that the pattern that was showed to the, in the mount. He says, you're not on your own here. So, as we approach the throne in communion with God for the Lord's Supper that's coming on as a church, we must observe the labor or the cleansing period, the cleansing time, which is one of the, one of the, the most beneficial things 
of the Lord's Supper for any church is for the, for the membership to have that cleansing, have a pure, a total, a full, thorough cleansing. And so we're going to do that. I hope, you know, even tonight we start doing that, but that we get prepared for that night. Now let's look at, at the fast and loose operations of Ahaz in our text. You remember we started with this guy that you know, he saw this other worship out there and he says, man, I tell you what, that looks really good. Let's make an altar like that. And he gives the dimensions. And he says, hey, you know what, I'm going to build one myself. I'm not, you know what, I think it should be this way or that way. And, you know, then he gets to, to uh, making it to where I want this over here. And he actually goes into the temple and starts taking the furniture out of the temple and says, hey, let's do, but you know what? I don't want the labor here. I want it over there. And I want something else over here. And that's exactly what Ahab did. He changed everything. Ahab had no separation from the world at all. He was just doing whatever the world does. 2 Kings 16, verse number 3. The Bible says, we, we, we read this to begin with. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, which were, they were backslidden, they were away from God, they were idolaters at this point. Yea, and he made his son to pass through the fire according to the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. Yikes! Even unto human sacrifice, his own son sacrificed. I tell you, Satan is cruel, folks, and Satan has not changed his disposition or, or uh, uh, you know, attitude since. But Ahab stole what was God's to give to God's enemies. You know, he was in trouble. You remember, he goes to God's enemies and he says, save us, save me. Hey, we need some help. He should have been going to God for that, but he didn't. He went to the world, Tiglath-Pileser. He was a heathen king, and he says, save us. But you know how he paid him? He went ahead and he took what was God's. In verse number 7 says, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria, out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. And look at verse 8. And Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord. He took things out of God's house that was supposed to be dedicated for God. And he gave it to him. And in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. Can you imagine that? Took it from the, what, should, what the king of kings rightfully owns and sends it to this puny king of Assyria. All resources are God's resources. You know, folks, as we said this morning, he owns all things. Uh, you know, it's a message and some truth that we learned from the scripture today, but you know what? We could have, we could have a, a service like that every single service from now to the end of the, of the year and maybe not even catch the, the, the emphasis of that, that God owns everything. He does. He owns all things. The only time the world, the flesh, or the devil can be appeased is when they're using God's resources. And that's what was going on here. He was taking God's resources and sending them uh, to the world for remedy. Which, by the way, was no remedy. You can take a look at the rest of the story if you want to read the next chapters and find out what, what took place with the children of Israel and with Ahaz. So anyway, he's so impressed with the world's ways and the world's worship he goes to Damascus to meet his hero, Tiglath-Pileser, and he sees this altar, and he says, 
whoa, look at that thing. That is so, that's so awesome. That's so beautiful. Did you ever see anything that was so spiritual? I mean, that's inspiring. That is, man, I love that. I just love that. He's in Damascus and he sees the altar there. And so he copies it. Verse 10 says, King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest, the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it. He, you know, copied the dimensions and all and gave him the blueprint according to all the workmanship thereof. That never should have happened. That never should have happened with this guy who was supposed to be part of God's people. Let me ask you something believer who cares what the world does who cares what the world likes you know every once in a while somebody comes to a church like this and they 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 come in here and they say hey you guys are out of touch and you know what that hurts my feelings <laughs> it really does hurt my feelings not who cares i certainly don't care I don't think God's disappointed that we are not following the world. You know, the world does whatever the world is going to do. And you know, coming here, man, this place is just so out of touch. Well, if it's in touch with him, then that's okay. <laughs> who Really, who cares? Who cares what the world does, what the world desires, what the world wants? Who cares what the world is influenced to do? But... This guy did care. And you know, the, the sad thing about it is, there's some of you in here that are just the same. You're so enamored. You're so, you're so moved by the world and whatever's popular and whatever's going on out there, and you want us to do that here. Who cares? You know what? The world can have whatever the world wants. That's okay. I'm looking for one thing, one thing. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You are faithful in a few things. Now here, I'll give you some more things to be worried about. That's what I want to hear. And you know what I think the Lord's going to do? I think he's going to say, well, I didn't have much to work with. <laughs> but what I gave you, you did good with. Good job. That's what I want to hear. Him say, good job. I could not care less who gives accolades, who recognizes, who says, this is great, who's, that's not, you know, folks, I hope, I hope you're there too with the attitude of whatever the world does. Who cares? Who cares? So anyway, he, he sees this altar and he sends back home to his bought and paid for priest Somebody that should, you know, listen, there were priests in the Old Testament that, you know, when something took place and, and the king was wrong, they would get in the king's way and they would say, hey, king, you're off base. You're not doing right. This is not good with God. And they let the king know, even if it was the king, even if it meant harm to them, bodily harm, they would get in the way. But not this guy, Uriah, uh, the, uh, Uriah the priest. He's back home and he says, he says, Uriah. I saw this altar. Man, it's just so beautiful. And it's this big and this big, and I'm sending you the blueprints. Here, I'll text it over to you. And, and when, when you get it, build it. And Uriah just says, you got it, boss. 
the low-down, no-good, worthless priest. It's okay with Uriah. It's not okay with God. So anyway, he, uh, the bought and paid for priest complies. Verse 11, and Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it against King Ahaz came from Damascus. He made it just like it was ordered. Not how God ordered it. Hey, you remember what God said about his temple? You better be careful to make it just like I prescribe. Just like I give you the blueprint for. The pattern that I give, you're not to color out the lines. You're to do it exactly, precisely the way I tell you to do it. There's a reason. I want you to do it that way. You better see that thou do it that way. But here's Uriah. Here's uh, uh, King Ahaz. They don't care. They're just going to do whatever they want to do. And, and the priest says, sure, I'll make it however you want. And he does. He makes it just like that. And so here he comes. Thus you can see the first uh, contemporary Christian movement, uh, the steps of the religion that we have, that we have to deal with all the time outside in the, in the, the realm that we live. And what I'm, what I'm, I've got to be careful not to have an attitude <laughs> because... Sometimes I get an attitude. Bear with me. But uh, uh, it's what we're dealing with. It's what, we, it's what I deal with. It's what this church deals with. And I know it's what you members deal with all the time. You have friends in, in Christian movements around or whatever, and they're, 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 they're marching to the beat of a different drummer. And you got to, you know, somebody comes to this church, and you got to just kind of smile and say, well, yeah, we're dinosaurs. <laughs> We're not connected. Sorry, we're just not connected. But here, you see the first steps of a contemporary Christian movement. Number one, what happened was they copied. Verse 11 says, Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it against King Ahaz, and he came from Damascus. And like I said earlier, who cares what they do, what they want? You know what would help you? Listen, friends, you know what would help you? Quit spending time in Damascus. You know what? That would help your attitude. The, the problem is that you spend so much time in Damascus. You spend so much time in the world. You spend so much time in groups that, that are not really concerned about following the Lord. And it'll affect you. It'll affect anybody. You know that saying? You are like or you will become like the people you hang around, the books you read, the entertainment that you, that you enjoy. You are like or you will become like. You say, well, no, not me, preacher. I know what the Bible says. Yeah, but you know what? The more time that you spend in Damascus, the more that's going to that's gonna affect you. Just quit spending time in Damascus. First thing that they did wrong was they copied. And next thing, in verse number 12, they got comfortable. It says, and when the king was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached. Now, you might not have got this right, right away, but here's the king. Now, you remember what I said about the Holy of Holies? There was, this, there was this veil. 
you, you came into the temple and you, you, know, certain, you, you had cleansing to go so far or whatever, and everybody couldn't go into the Holy Holies. It was only the priest. And they had to be prepared. They had to be sanctified and everything else. And, and then they were, they were allowed once a year to go into the Holy of Holies and to do business with the Lord. And at that point, what happened was then, then they, were, they were enabled to do that. But everybody couldn't offer. Everybody couldn't approach the altar. This says when uh, Ahaz made the, the altar and he, and he goes back and he, he uh, says, I want it this way and I want it that way and it was, it was built that way. He comes back home and he says, there it is. Whoa, how wonderful. And he goes right to it and he, and he offers on this altar. Wait a minute. Is that what God did with his stuff? Are you kidding me? You couldn't, you couldn't touch the things of God without dire consequences. Remember uh, Uriah the Hittite? Or not Uriah, who was that? Uh, Uriah? Uzzah, Uzzah, thank you. It was Uzzah. He, he, he had good intentions, but he touched the Ark of the Covenant, covenant and pow, God killed him just like that. You know, and it's like, you know, uh, listen, at, at that point, they were... David was afraid. All of God's people were afraid. They didn't know what to do. Wait a minute. We've got the, the altar, the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant here. What are we going to do? We've got to move it. We don't know. Nobody wants to touch it. They're afraid of God at this point. You know why? Because you have to be afraid. It's God's things. God takes care of his things. But here is an altar that Ahaz made. Uriah went ahead and built and he comes right to it. He says, wow, that's wonderful. And it says right away, the king saw the altar and the king approached to the altar and offered thereon. And he burnt his burnt offering and his meat offering and poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings upon the altar. Ahaz approached this rogue, powerless altar. Bogus altar. Was not God's altar. But he was comfortable with it. I mean, he was, he was comfortable with it. He was able to co approach it. He's able to, to, to hug it, and he's able to say, oh, wow, I love this altar. This is so good. It's unlike the altar of God. Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26, verse number 16, the Bible says about this king, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Remember that whole uh, scenario? First you got the, the altar, the, the great altar, and then you had the laver or the brazen sea, and then you had, um, uh, see, what was it here? Uh, then there was the, the uh, uh, holy place where there was uh, the... Uh, uh, candlestick and the showbread, and then there was uh, the incense. Well, here the Bible says this king decided, you know what? I'm the biggest guy around here. I'm the guy that, that pays the, the, the uh, uh, salaries of, of all of the, these government workers. And if I want to go in here and I want to just uh, approach to the altar, I'm going to go ahead and do that. His heart was lifted up, and it says, He went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Verse 17. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, Don't do it! Wake up! 
King, you're out of place. It appertaineth not unto thee, they said. It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. They were saying, you're out of place. You can't just approach God's altar. Then Uzziah was wroth. And had a censer in his hand to burn incense. While he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from beside the, the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Josiah the king was a leper until the day of his death. And dwelt in a several house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Wow. Wow. Talk about some dire consequences. You can't just approach God's altar. But you, hey, what did, what did Ahaz do? The altar that he built. It's wonderful. I love it. Oh. And he offers, and he hugs it, and he says, oh, man, now this is how it ought to be. Uh, no power. No God behind the altar, bogus, but he was comfortable with it. You want to make some application here <laughs> about being comfortable in God's house? You know what? I like being comfortable. If you listen very closely, you can hear either the heater or the air conditioner going on. I think things are changing nowadays, and this might be the air conditioning. Thank God. For air conditioning. Amen. Thank God that we're having the bathroom that needs to be increased. So there's plenty of seats for everybody. <laughs> thank God for the carpet and for, the, for the, the PA system. And thank God for the comfort that we can have. But you know what? It's not about comfort. It's not about us being comfortable. That's not the, the ultimate. You know what the ultimate is? To worship God. To come before him and to have the right attitude before this creator God. And, and take our place before him. It's not about the comfort. You know what it is so much in the world? It's about comfort. It's about making things to where it's just so easy, where you can just go ahead and, and be in church. You know what? You can do this and do that. And there's uh, sometimes a, an espresso machine right there in the back of the auditorium. You can get up and go get your espresso and, and uh, do your little sips while you're you know, listening to the sermonettes that are going on there, whatever is going on, because it's comfortable. Everything's comfortable. You just do whatever you want to do, and you can do whatever you want to do, and that's fine. Folks, it's not all about comfort. They copied, they were comfortable, and it was confusing. In verse number 14, it says, He also he brought also the brazen altar, which was before the Lord, from the forefront of the house, from between the altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the altar. So he started to change the furniture. Remember, he said he took things out of the temple, and he's rearranging things in the place of his worship. And King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, Upon the great altar burn the morning and the, all the sacrifices. And then uh, look down to, to uh, the end of verse number 15. It says, Their meat offering, their drink offerings, and sprinkle upon it all the blood of the burnt offering and the blood of the sacrifice and the brazen altar shall be for me to inquire by. Okay, you remember in God's house, the brazen, the, the, uh, brazen altar where they would sacrifice the lamb or the bullock or the turtle doves or whatever it was that they would sacrifice on this altar. It was 
to receive a sacrifice. That's what it was for. The purpose was to receive a sacrifice, not to try to figure out how to divine, how to, how to tell the future, how to, how to uh, uh, understand what God's will was for their life. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't what the altar was for. It was, never, it was never for that purpose. You know how they found out what God's will was? They went in and talked to God. And God spoke to them. And God made it clear. And sometimes God would, would speak to them or lead them through the Urim and Thummim and through the way that God had ordained. The altar was never supposed to be a, an instrument of trying to discern what uh, God was, what his will was. But it says he, he took the altar to inquire by. This was the place where I'm going to pray or I'm going to, and all of a sudden it's, it's, it's something that it was never intended to do at all. That's, that's weird. All of this rearranging the house furniture destroyed the purposes of, of everything that God had, had ordained. But look at what it says in verse number 17. And King Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases and removed the laver from off them and took down the sea from off the brazen oxen that were under it. You remember we, we said about that, uh, where in, in God's uh, blueprints, his pattern, he says this is what it was supposed to be. And underneath there was these ornate uh, borders and these... Uh, um, uh, oxen and these different things. You know what? He removed all of that, took all, all the ornate out, and he just put them on the floor. Made them common. He just, he, he, he brought everything down from separated, from holy, from special, to common, to abased, defiled. Something that wasn't special anymore. And you know what he did with the labor? He, if you look at what he did in this rearranging the furniture, the labor was supposed to be right here. Before you were going to be dealing with the Lord, you had to go through the labor. He took the labor and he moved it off to the side. He says, you know what? You don't need that. Folks, we can't do that. And we can't do that here. You know what the labor is also? Labor is when we come to invitation time at any service, and we say, you know what, if God is speaking to your heart, you can wash by 1 John 1, 9, if any man sin, he's faithful and just to, if any man confesses his sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. That's the labor, folks. That's where you wash. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is so, so vitally important, folks, when, when we get to the invitation time, it's not just, okay, now we tack this on, and we've got another few more minutes, and then we know service. No, no, there's an important place. There's, there's, there's a reason for that place. There's a reason for that time where we say, yes, Lord. There's a reason for that time where when he speaks to us, we respond to him. Don't move the labor. The labor is in between the altar of sacrifice and our God. You can't get to God without going through cleansing first. And as a church, we had better heed our Lord who compels us to use the labor before we approach the throne. So let's do that before the Lord's Supper. But you know what? We could begin to prepare tonight. What is it that God has been speaking to you about? What is it that God has been dealing with you about? And there's something, you know, say maybe it wasn't even anything that was far remote from anything that was dealt with here. But you know, 
You know exactly where you're at. You know exactly what God's speaking to you about. And you know what? You, you can't hear him properly. You can't discern his will properly. You can't take the next step. You can't grow in your Christian walk because there's something in the way. You know what? It may be just that the labor is not used. Let's wash. Let's wash so that we can deal with him. Let's do that tonight. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you help us.